Good morning, Parkway Church. How are you guys doing today? Good. So glad three of you are doing good. <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. Whether you're gathered together at Parkway Port Lavaca, Parkway Lone Tree, Parkway Victoria, or Parkway Online, we are so glad you're here with us today. If you're new with us, my name is Mike Hurt. I'm the senior pastor here. And it's my privilege today to open God's word with you. And we're in a journey where we're walking through the, the books of the Bible, looking at the major players in Scripture, seeing the story of God, the theological threads that run throughout the Bible. And we're finishing up a series today entitled Those People, where we're talking today about those people who are really good friends but give really bad advice. We're going to be looking at the book of Job today. So if you brought your Bible, open up the book of Job with me. And as you do, I want to also point your attention in the bulletin to the serving needs list. We've got a series of positions that we need teammates to fill at each campus. And so I would just encourage you, if you're not serving yet, to take a look at that sheet and fill it out. And then you just rip it off and drop it in the offering plate. So you fill it out, you rip it, and you drop it off. So I'm just asking you to give a rip and find your place to serve. So I encourage you, encourage you, encourage you to find that place. Now, let's jump into the book of Job. Before we do that, though, let me catch you up on where we've been in this series. We looked in week one at the book of Ezra and how God dealt with the hypocrites. The people of God believed one thing and they lived another. So Ezra came and taught them and dealt with their hypocrisy. And then as the city of Jerusalem was being rebuilt, we popped into the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is the story of a leader that is, like Nehemiah could lead in any like time period. Nehemiah is one of the best leaders that was ever born. And he had to deal with critics. And so we learned how to overcome those people that are always looking to destroy and never looking to build us up. And then last week, we looked at moving past the manipulator, those people who treat us like we're puppets, those people who our relationships always have strings attached with them. And we, we looked at the book of Esther, to see that God is in charge and that he is never, ever gonna be manipulated. You can always trust him. And so now we turn to the book of Job. And Job is a very, very challenging book of the Bible. It's a challenging book in the Bible for a couple reasons. First, we've gotta deal with this tension and a lot of people get hung up on it. We're gonna read about um, a good man having bad things happen to him. And so there's this, there's this question, how can a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? How can a good God allow suffering and evil to exist in the world? And then we're also gonna see in the story of Job, he had three friends that as he was suffering, like none of us would ever, like we would all dread to suffer like Job suffered. But they, they came and they gave him some really bad advice. And so not only will we learn today that God is faithful, no matter our struggle, but we will also learn how to, to, to ignore the bad advice and how maybe we can be people who give good advice to those who are struggling, how we can be a benefit and a blessing to those that are in, in a season like we're gonna see Job in, even a percentage of that. So you guys ready? All right, let's jump in. Job chapter one, verse one. You know why we're starting in verse one? That's the beginning. And in the land of Uz, there was a man who, whose name was Job. Now, remember, anytime we see a name and we see a location, these are real people in real places. This is not a fairy tale. This is not a myth. This is the history of man and the story of God. So in the, in the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. 
He owns 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. So as we get to know the, the major player in this book, Job, we're gonna see first that he was a man of great financial means. He had uh, oxen, he had camel, he had sheep. He, he also had a big family. He had three girls and seven boys. But more than what he had, listen to who he was. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. So much so that it impacted the way he loved his family. Get this, verse four, Job chapter one. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays. And they would invite their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each one of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. So not only was Job a man who was upright and blameless, and he feared God, he wanted his kids to do the same. And so whenever they would throw their feasts or throw their parties, as soon as spring break was over, Job would go before God on their behalf just in case they lost their integrity before him. Just in case. This was Job, a wealthy man and a rich man because of his integrity and because of his character. Now we come to a very... Um, unique conversation in scripture. We're gonna see two conversations between God and Satan in the book of Job. We're gonna see two conversations and, and let's just jump in and I'll explain it as we go. Verse six, one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them. Now let's just pause right there. So God calls the angels together for a staff meeting and even the, the loser angel Satan shows up the one who was a fallen angel because of his pride, even he showed up. And so God, the last time we saw Satan in our story of God specifically was in the Garden of Eden where he had tempted Eve to eat the, the fruit and then Adam followed along. So the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Now, did God know what Satan had been up to? Yes. Why did God ask Satan where he came from. It's this, it's to remind Satan of his place. Some of us think that, that Satan is this, this little red dude with the pitchfork that lives in heaven. And, or, oh, boy, that was a mistake. Satan lives in, in where? Oh, see, I don't think you should say that at church. You absolutely should. Anyway, Satan, you think Satan's a little red guy with ears and a pitchfork and lives in hell, but he's not, not yet. See, Satan, he is, the New Testament calls him the prince of the air. He, he is still active. The Bible says that he's roaming like a lion, looking to see who he can devour. And so when God says, hey, where'd you come from? God knew where he came from. He was down on the earth looking to see who he could devour, who he could hurt and who he could harm. Jesus says that the thief, that's Satan, only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come to give you life and life to the fullest. So God knew what Satan was up to and God wanted to remind Satan of his place. And so then the conversation continues. Verse eight, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. 
He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. So the enemy says, I'm looking to see who I can devour. And God says, how about Job? He's blameless. He's upright. He fears the Lord. Have you considered him? Have you tempted him? Have you tested him? Have you tried him? Have you considered him? Now, here's the real crux of the situation here. Is God throwing his servant Job under the bus and saying, get out of my presence and take care of Job? Or is God looking at the enemy and saying, I've got a man of strength. God isn't throwing Job under the bus. God is raising Job up as an example of strength and what it means to fear the Lord. And that not every man and not every woman will fall prey to every temptation. Have you considered my servant, Job? And, and, and so listen to how the, the enemy responded. Job 1, 9 through 12. Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and his herds are spread throughout the land. What Satan says to God is, let me tell you why, why Job is blameless and upright, why he fears the Lord, because you've given him everything. He is rich. He is like, I got a big house with everything and 10 kids and he's, he's got all the toys. You take away what you blessed him with and surely he will curse you is the enemy's thought. And just, just for, for kicks, let me just explain one piece of this out of verse 10 where, where he says to, where Satan says to God, have you not put a hedge around him? If you've ever been in a prayer group and somebody says, Lord, put a hedge of protection around my kids as they go do this, they are referring back to this passage. When I became a Christian and entered into prayer groups and we were like entering into college and be like, Lord, put a hedge of protection around us as we walk into to school this fall. I'm like, what's the Lord gonna do? Is he gonna put some holly around us, right? No bad can get us because we got some sticky holly around us or some red tip photinia. What's the Lord gonna, what's this hedge of protection look like? Well, this hedge of protection is a spiritual reality that God protects and guides and leads and blesses. And so as we look at this story, we see the hand of God and we see the limited hand of Satan. Satan lays this challenge down to God, verse 11. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and surely he will curse you to your face. So Satan says, take what you blessed him with and he will curse you. Then the Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power. But on the man, do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out of the presence of the Lord. And so where did he go? He went back down to see who he could devour. And he's looking specifically for Job. And so the enemy begins his work. And can I just tell you, and I want you to catch it. You're going to see it twice in this story. The enemy's work is limited in your life to the power of God or by the power of God. God said, you can have everything except don't lay a finger on him. I'm in charge of him and his life. You can take everything that I've given him, but you cannot have him. He's mine. The enemy is limited. The one who is in you, the Holy Spirit of God, given to you by God because you believed in Jesus Christ, the one that is in you is greater than he that's in the world. The enemy that's looking to see who he can prowl to devour. I think I just made up something, but I'm gonna keep going with it. The enemy was prowling to see who he can devour. There, got it right. 
God is greater than our enemy. God will never be defeated by Satan. Not in this story, not in your story. So get it, Job 1, 13 through 15. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. So the oxen and the donkeys were killed. He had 500 yoke of oxen and he had 500 donkeys. So 1,500 animals killed and the servants that took care of them. While he was still speaking, another messenger comes running up breathlessly. While he was still speaking, another messenger came up and said, the fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants. And I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. So turning back and we see that he had 7,000 sheep. So 7,000 sheep and all of their attendants were killed. That's a bad moment. Can we also note that that was a bad joke? <laughs> and as we look at the passage here in Job 1.16, let's not miss this. The servant came and said, the fire from heaven, the fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep. Sometimes we look at what the enemy is doing in our life and we blame God for it. God was not the one who was raining fire on the sheep and the shepherds. God is not the one. It was the enemy's work. And they, they looked and said, the fire of God of heaven fell. No, it wasn't the fire of God. And then while he was still speaking, the sheep and the servants are gone, the oxen and the donkeys are gone. And while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans are forming three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and it made off with them. They put your servants to the sword and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. And so now he's lost his camels as well. He had 3,000 camels. And their servants, they're all gone. And while he was still speaking, he had already lost his livelihood, his sheep, his oxen. He'd lost his like, lifestyle and mode of transportation with the camels. He was losing it all before his very eyes here in one day. And people say that trouble comes in threes, but people would be wrong because the fourth messenger comes. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came up and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. So now he's lost it all. His kids and their family, gone. Job was being tested. How would he respond Job 1, 20 through 21. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship. Now, we've seen this over and over again. Last week, Mordecai, when he heard bad news about the, 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 the enemies of God trying to kill the Hebrew people, he like tore his clothes and put on ash and dropped at the city gates. It's a sign of mourning and grief. And it's, a, it's an act of worship before God as we see it here in Job. So he fell to the ground in worship and said, verse 21, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Now, this man, who the Bible described as being upright, 
This man that the Bible describes as being blameless and fearing God and shunning evil. He lost every earthly possession and his kids and their families. And he fell before God and he worshiped and he said, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the, may the name of the Lord be praised. And we keep reading. In all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Now remember this, because this is the first time we're gonna see it, and this happens twice in the story. In all of this, he did not break his integrity before God. In all of this, he did not lose his reputation with the heavenly father. In all of this, the enemy once again was proven to be weak. He could not move this man of God. In all of this. So on another day, keep reading, the story goes on. On another day, Job 2, 1 through 2, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came with them to present himself before them. So it's a staff meeting again, and the loser comes. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, knowing full well that he had? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Again, setting him up as an example, a person of strength, not throwing him under the bus. He is upright. He fears God. He shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. God says, have you considered Job? Yes, you have. And he still stands with integrity though you incited me to ruin him for no reason, though you asked me to remove my hedge, to remove my hand and allow you to cause great loss in his life. He still stands. Satan's not done because he's looking to see who he can devour. He comes only to steal, kill and destroy. So he ups the ante. Verse four, skin for skin, Satan replied, a man will not give, a man will give all that he has for his own life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and surely he will curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. Again, the enemy's influence is limited by our heavenly father. You can cause illness, but you cannot take his life. He's mine. I'm in charge of his life. I'm in charge of his death. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. So Job had lost everything and now he loses his health. I mean, can you imagine nasty, oozing, open, grotesque sores on your body from the bottom of your feet to the top of your head? You can't touch anything. You can't scratch. You can't move. Listen to what Job did. Job then took a piece of po broken pottery and scraped himself with it. He sat among the ashes. Again, a sign of repentance or a sign of brokenness before the Lord. And his wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. So his wife comes in and sees the condition he's in and says, why are you still standing for God? Just curse him and let's finish this. Curse God and die. He replied, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all of this, 
Job did not sin in what he said. Not once, but twice. Job was tested and tried and kept his integrity. Now, men, let me just give you a piece of advice. If as we move through the scripture, you're working to memorize scripture and then quote it and apply it to your life. This verse where Job says to his wife, I want to get it straight. This is one that I have not memorized. (laughs) When he says, you are talking like a foolish woman, don't memorize and quote that to your wife. That's just a little love from me to you. So let's summarize. Job lost his livelihood. He lost his family. He lost his wealth. He lost his health. Aren't you glad you came to church today to be so encouraged? But he didn't lose the one thing that mattered most. He didn't lose his faith and he didn't lose his integrity before the Lord. And I remind you of that because you may be going through a season where it's not like Job, but it's your own personal struggle. And I want you to know that God is still in charge. God is still all powerful. God is still all loving. And it's possible for you like Job I pray that you have not the patience of Job, but the faith of Job. The faith that says, I'm gonna stick with God and maintain my integrity because he gives and he takes away. I know where my life comes from and it comes from God. I'm gonna hold my integrity. I will never, ever curse God because if I do that, what do I have left? Some of you need the faith of Job. And I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. As we keep reading the story, though, we shift and we see how we can deal with those people, those people that are good friends that give bad advice. As the story continues, Job's friends hear about the trouble. So Job chapter 2, 11 through 13. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, Zophar, the Namathite. How come nobody's named Gonzalez or Ramirez or, I mean, I would love to have some Hispanic last names in this. I would even take a Czech last name. These names are hard. When his buds heard about all his troubles and all that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go. So they heard, they decided, okay, we're gonna go. We're gonna sympathize with him and we're going to comfort him. That's what they thought their plan was. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. So they began to weep aloud and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. They took the same posture before God that he had. They wouldn't just come to sympathize and comfort, but they would empathize with him. They were there with him. They sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. So let's make it clear. They got some things right. When we see our friends or family members struggling or hurting, when we want them to have the faith of Job, what should we do? We should go to them. We should comfort them. We should empathize with them. One of the best things we can do is just be with people who are hurting. They did it for seven days and seven nights in silence. And they got it right. But as you keep reading in Job 40 through 25, It didn't stay right forever because these friends moved from silence to trying to explain what was going on in Job's life. We see three long speeches and Job's response. And in a moment, we'll see God's response to their statements. We see three long 
three long speeches where they look and they try and assign blame, where they look and they try and tell Job what he should do next. And if you've ever experienced loss, you know what this feels like. When good people give bad advice, you hear things like, God will never give you more than you can bear. Yes, he will. Because we live by faith and not by sight. God will give you more than you can bear so that you will hand it off to him and find your rest in him. If God closes a door, he'll open a window. Yeah, but I really needed that job. Yeah, but I was really banking on that relationship. When will God open that window? When will God provide? And then if you lose a loved one or a child, really good people say things like this. God needed another angel. As though our God who lacks nothing looked at your perfect loving family and said, I'm gonna just take that one from them because I need an angel. Friends, that's not our God. And then people say this one, this one, this is the, this is the one that covers all. Well, everything happens for a reason. And each of these, except for the angel, each of these has a piece of truth to it. But without the full truth, it becomes really, really bad advice. Like Job's friends. Job, everything happens for a reason. So the first one questioned his faith. First friend said, your faith strengthens others, but it's not doing anything for you. Questioned his faith. The next friend came and assigned blame. Said, if you're hurting, you must have done something wrong. And this is a lie of modern day Christianity that continues on from this day. There are some that would say, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you will never be sick. You will never experience loss. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and following God, you will never be broke. You will never struggle if you are following God. Let me tell you, that's a lie straight from the enemy. I know people that are walking with God, men and women, men and women, I know some women. It's just one of those days, y'all. I know some men and women who are like Job. They're faithful, they're upright, they fear God and they shun evil and they're broke. Because worldly wealth is not always a sign of godliness. I know people who fear God, shun evil, who have upright and live lives of integrity, who are struggling with cancer today. That's because physical health is not always a sign of spiritual health. And when somebody comes and says, if you're sick, if you're broke, you must have done something wrong. I want you to check it. Now, make sure you check this too. There are times when we sin and we experience the consequences of our sin. A man or a woman reaps what they sow. If you are reaping godly, pardon me, if you, you know, someday this talk might be good. If you are sowing godliness and yet you are reaping struggle, it's not because of what you're sowing. And you're sowing for a future date. Don't give up on it. And then the third friend jumped to conclusions. He said, if you're struggling, you must have walked away from God. And God will correct this very quickly. If you're struggling, 
you must have walked away. And get this, we know from the story of God as we keep reading the book of Job, that Job would not only like be proven that he wasn't the one that walked away, but Job would be blessed by God in the end. The friend's conclusion was, you're not blessed because you've walked away from God. Well, the conclusion of this story says, because he never walked away from me, he was blessed with three times what he had before. See, we like to jump to man-made, woman-made conclusions. Men and women like to make conclusions. <laughs> like to make conclusions. But God says, I'm the one that's in charge of the story. Don't conclude the story that I'm writing. Job's friends did. And it really, really, really upset God. So he speaks now, Job 42, 7 through 9. After the Lord said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz, I'm angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So we stop right there. So the one that was allegedly walking away from God, God said, go to him because he's walking with me. The one that had allegedly done something wrong, God says is innocent. You go and offer a sacrifice. The one who, whose faith was questioned, God said, it's his prayer that I'm gonna hear. It's his prayer that I'm gonna answer. So you better get going. So Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar did what the Lord told them. And the Lord accepted accepted Job's prayer. Friends, as we wrap up our perspective on Job today, I hope you never miss the fact that the voice of God can always be trusted, but we need to test other voices in our life. And I'm gonna give you two things to look at as we work through the tension and the struggle of this good God in a world where there's still bad things that happen. And the first one is this. We're gonna get comfortable with the tension of unexplained suffering and a good God. Job never allowed his circumstances to determine what he thought of God. Job never allowed what was happening to him and to others that he loved to, to change his picture of God. Too many times we see bad things happen to good people and we say, well, we must have a bad God. And Job said, no matter what happens, the Lord blesses and the Lord takes away. I'm gonna praise his name. He is good. Sometimes people ask me when they're in the middle of a difficult situation or the loss of a loved one or an illness of themselves or one of their kids and they go, pastor, why is this happening? And my honest answer many times is, I don't know. But I know our God is still good. I don't know why this is happening, but I know him. And he is still good. We're gonna have to get comfortable with that tension between good God and bad things. Second thing, if we're gonna be people that help, and if we are people that can filter the good friends that give us bad advice, second thing we need to remember is that sometimes faith stops the storm And other times, faith helps us endure 
the struggle. Now, in the New Testament, there was a storm, like literal storm, and Jesus spoke, and the waves went flat, and the winds dropped. Sometimes our faith stops the storm. Also in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, living his life by faith, boldly sharing the gospel with others, also by faith, his faith helped him endure the struggles. He was whipped, he was beaten, he was shipwrecked, and yet his faith helped him endure all of that. Sometimes faith stops it. Sometimes faith strengthens us to get through it. So as you look at helping others that are dealing with difficulty or you are dealing with difficulty yourself, the better advice than Job's friends gave him is this. Remind people of their faith. Our faith is a point of strength, especially at our greatest moments of weakness. Our faith is not a crutch. Our faith is an anchor for our soul. And so remind them of the strength of faith. Second, don't assign blame, remove blame. Many times when we are struggling or our family's struggling, we ask the question, is this because of something I did? Jesus healed a blind man in the New Testament. And before he did, they asked, who sinned that this man would be born blind, his mother or his father? And Jesus said, neither. This man was born blind so God could get the glory of his healing. See, we like to assign blame. And yet, as believers, we should be removing blame from others. And this is so difficult and so needed. The weekend my dad passed away. Christy and I had been there and spent some time with my mom and dad. And we were running late for something, needed to get back to Victoria. And my dad came out to the car and, and I rolled the window down, because that's how you did it back then, 22 years ago. right? You roll the window down. And I said, hey, don't have time to hug you now, but we're going to be back late Sunday night. Can't wait to see you. Well, that Sunday afternoon, he had a heart attack and died. I, I held him in the hospital bed as he was brain dead. Do you think that I had to deal with a little guilt and a little shame and a little blame because I didn't take 30 seconds to hug my dad? You see, good friends are going to remind you that you don't need to blame yourself for that. Good friends are going to remind you that you don't have to blame yourself because something difficult or challenging is happening in your life. Good friends will remove the blame. And then lastly, good friends and we should refrain from conclusions. So many times we try and put a nice little bow on people's struggle. And so we throw conclusions on it like Job's friends threw conclusions on him. We want to tidy it up and put a nice little bow, pat them on the bottom and tell them to move along. They'll get through this. Let's just tie a bow on it. And that's where the everything happens for a reason. That's where God needed another angel. That's where all of that stuff comes from is our need to put a bow on it. Well, friends, those that you love and when you're struggling, you don't need a bow. You need a friend and you need your faithful God. And I know that because this year, Christy and I, and the book of Job is really scary to preach as a pastor. Because here's, here's what you need to know. These messages that I preach, I get to live them before I talk them. And we have lived a year. We sat last night recounting the year. 
We have lived a year where there's been a challenge on every front. Illness in our family that is scary. Difficulty in church life. Every area of our life has been tested this year. And we sat and said, God is good. And I can tell you with faith that I don't have to draw any other conclusion. I don't have to know any more answers than my God is good. And if he's good to somebody like me, he'll be really good to all you guys as well. I know that. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the chance to open the word and to learn and to grow together today. Lord, I pray for the church family that needs to do business with you, to trust you with their current struggle or storm, or to thank you, as Christy and I did last night, for the victory that we had despite the storm. God, I pray that you would help us to be like Job and have faith that no matter what comes, we look and we say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, and we praise you. No matter what comes, we will not lose our integrity before you. As we continue to pray, if you're here today and you're not a believer in Jesus yet, I encourage you to believe in Jesus and find life. The Bible says that we're sinners who need a Savior and that Jesus is the Savior of the world. The Bible says that he's both Lord and Savior. He invites us to believe in a simple message, that he died on the cross for our sins. They buried him, and three days later, he was raised again from the dead. And he invites us to believe and to find life. That's the kind of life where we know he'll never leave us nor forsake us. That's the kind of life where the Holy Spirit lives in us and strengthens us. That's the kind of life God has for you. And it's a life that's promised for all eternity. If today's your day to believe, let's mark it with a prayer. You can pray. Jesus, I believe. I believe that I'm a sinner who needs a Savior and that you are the Savior of the world. Thank you for coming for me, for dying in my place and being raised again from the dead. Today, I believe. Thank you for giving me life. 